Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. My name is Will Holden, and today I am joined by Sir Mark Wall. How are you doing, Mark? Well, as a knight of the round table, I am uh, <laughs> I'm doing mighty fine, thank you. Tip top. We have the knave, Andy Malburn. How are you, buddy? I'm all right. Cheers, man. Great introductions today. Thank you. Well, we have a special guest today. That's probably why I'm stepping up the introduction game. It's our court jester. He's the village fool. It's Sam Bates. How you doing, buddy? Huzzah. Yeah, I am great. Thank you very much, sir. Excellent. As this is a uh, inaugural guest episode, it has been your picks this time, Sam. So you've picked for us a movie, an album, and a top five list. Tell us what you've picked. I have, I have gone for, as my movie, Ari Aster's Midsummer. Bit of a scary one for you to uh, all sink your teeth into. And... On topic, I've decided to go for top five horror films. And album-wise, I've gone for uh, And Then We Saw Land by Tung, which uh, is just something I like. I'm uh, I'm not sure any of you will like it or hate it or just middle ground it, but I'm not bothered really. I'm not going to defend it. I just like it. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, I know that the only episode you've listened to so far is the Deftones episode, so I'm not surprised you're nervous. (laughs) (laughs) As always, we start with the film. So uh, we'll begin with Midsummer. I have here my brief description. So Danny and Christian are a young couple with a relationship on the brink of falling apart. But after a family tragedy keeps them together, a grieving Danny invites herself to join Christian and his friends on a trip to a remote Swedish village. What begins as a carefree summer holiday takes a sinister turn when the insular villagers invite their guests to partake in disturbing festivities. I think, as you pointed out, Sam, it's directed by Ari Aster, and it stars Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, Wilhelm Blomgren, and others. What do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. (laughs) What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? He wants to kick us off on Midsummer. Go on, Mark. I, I think the guest should start personally. Ah, oh, nobody's nobody's <laughs> got the balls to, to <laughs> step up. Neither have I. Sam, knock yourself out. Excellent. Right. Okay. Well, it's good. <laughs> no. Um, Cheers, mate. That's all okay. we needed. And the album. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, 
I watched Ari Aster's first film, Hereditary, really enjoyed it. So I went into this one looking forward to something similar and um, wasn't disappointed. There's loads of really good, like, cool symbolism in it, loads of loads of rewatchability, which I always look for in a film. It's just, it's scary, but it's, for me, a horror film. It's It's got to be scary, but it's got to have a reasonable story. It's got to have some kind of intellectual property in it. Like, it can't just be jumps, 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 you know? Like, yeah. I think Midsommar's just full of intrigue and interest like there's so many things to look at and so much to read into it and yeah i love it it's brilliant on that note you've mentioned about rewatches how many times have you seen midsummer so far like is this two or three or is this uh mm, five or six i mean it's it's only been out it's only been out a couple of years and I've, i must have watched it like four or five in the last couple of years i reckon and that's saying something because it's not particularly easy to watch. Like some of it is really, is really grim. Oh, quite. I just, oh, quite. it's so entertaining. Yeah, so entertaining. I'm not a horror fan in any way. Like I never would have seen this. I, I'm kind of glad that you've gone with a bit of a horror theme because it's forced me to get outside <laughs> of my little box, which is nice. Um, and I've got like quite a lot of mixed thoughts on this, but... Like, it definitely is a horror, but it's sort of barely a horror. But there's a huge amount of just, like, drama and, like, sort of suspense and thriller elements to it. There's no real... Is there any real jump scares? But it's I more kind of... Not really. It's more just sort of built up, built up tension and stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't have huge horror elements to it. Apart from like some pretty horrific moments in it. There's, there's some, like, really, like, graphic violence in it and being a like scaredy cat that I am. <laughs> I, I pretty much just looked away in those bits. I don't need to see an old man's face getting... Been smashed you know. by a mallet. That was mm. my favourite bit. Cudgel to death. <laughs> I think, I, um, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I've written down at some point, like it feels more like a dread film than a horror film. Mm. A lot of the things that happen, I think you can sort of see coming. You just have to kind of watch it unfold. You just have to wait for it to happen, even though you know it's coming. And it's that kind of sense of gut dread. Yeah, it's so, it's got such a bizarre feel to it, like for a horror film, and obviously it starts quite shockingly. For a horror film, it's got a lot of like mixed emotions in it, like quite a lot of uh, happy feelings. They obviously go to this uh, small Swedish village and the the taking mushrooms and the tripping and it's sunny and warm and nice and it's genuinely like not sinister for a lot of it and you know a lot a lot of the time you get this like nice vibe in a horror film but it's always got this ominous score over it or something that's leading you down this road of wait until you see where this goes you know but in that you genuinely get some nice friendly interactions with different characters and it's all warm and cozy like i say and there's you know it's it's a real mixed bag of emotions throughout the film i think as well as just you know being all out horrific at some points i think the fact that it's all set almost exclusively in daylight is pretty unusual yeah. for a horror film and, and sets a a very different feeling what were your overall thoughts mark um it's a uh it's a minor masterpiece for me i think it's awesome i don't really have any criticisms the first time i saw it 
was a few months back. And I think I had, it, it follows the sort of Wicker Man setup so Definitely, closely. Yeah. yeah, very obvious comparison. Which is fine. I don't have any problem with that. I'm a bit of a sucker for that kind of setup in general. And I think it absolutely nails it. The first time around, I was very much hoping that some of the characters, a character would sort of escape. I think that's built in as an audience you want. They're not necessarily the most likable of characters, but they're quite believable ones and realistic ones, I think, which makes it in a way more interesting. But you still, I still was kind of wanting them to get away and obviously we know how it goes. Uh, the second time around, I didn't, I knew what was to come, of course, and I think it's just terrific. It's so well made. Some of the shots are absolutely stunning. Some of the scenes, I mean, there's two or three just absolutely standout moments, I think. It's uh, it's great. It's interesting that you say that the characters were very believable. Mm-hmm. The sort of suspension of disbelief isn't there, and I guess, like, you either do or you don't. And in, this is just a, a general criticism of, like, the genre, I guess. But as soon as they saw that particular scene as a group of characters and have such a adverse reaction to it. I don't understand the circumstances why they wouldn't leave. Like, I just found that unbelievable. And uh, th- things happen later on on a sort of similar vein. Like, I don't understand why when you're given, you know, mushroom tea or whatever, you're, um, mm-hmm. that you would drink that in that circumstance. And, like, I just, I just didn't really believe their reactions to the world around them. I think I, it's a pretty pronounced reaction from particularly the uh, the English couple. Yeah. I mean, they they, yeah. they do try and leave, like, almost. Yeah, their reaction was the normal reaction. Absolutely. <laughs> particularly the main girl. I actually thought Florence Pugh was excellent in it. Like, I think oh, she brilliant. was yeah, like, the best, probably the best thing about the film for me was her performance. Yeah. But I think, like, she was so determined to leave and the way that she's talked out of leaving, and I know that that's a huge theme of the film, is, like, the idea that she's, like, lost her family and the sort of potential, like, new family for her. So I kind of get that, but it just seems like she's easily talked around when basically just the word family being said to her when she seems so determined to leave initially. I yeah, I, I just, I just sort of didn't buy those reactions. I, I was no, I, I'm kind of team Mark on this one. I thought, I thought the script was quite good, and I think the way that people spoke to each other had a kind of reality to it. It didn't feel overly scripty. Like there were parts where people would bumble over words or didn't quite know what they meant to say, and that's really normal. I think some of those choices could be mitigated. I mean, they're basically dosed from the moment they arrive. So they're probably not um, thinking hugely straight. They don't really know anything sinister has gone on until quite near the end. But there's definitely suspicion. But Christian at one point wants to indoctrinate himself into their society. Like he, he really wants to be accepted by them. And I think it's then that the kind of peer pressure takes over. So when he is offered the drink, despite not wanting it, it's, if you want to be one of us, like this, this, this is part of that. I said it during that bit, though. Like I was watching it with my message. I said, like you just, I just think a normal reaction. Like he clearly didn't want it, and like you say, it was just kind of coerced into it. 
And um, I just think like you just would have taken it and just poured out on the grass. <laughs> but that seems like a normal reaction. You don't I think have to he, offend anyone. <laughs> I think he. I think he does want it though. He's already been told effectively that this uh, this girl wants him, and they've sort of selected him to have sex with her. And I think the only thing that's stopping him is his very slight connection to his girlfriend still, which has been frayed from the start, really. So I don't I don't think he takes too much convincing. I think he's uh, he he knows exactly why it's being given to him, I think. The kind of force to conform due to obviously they're in this strange place that um they're having to conform because they don't know what's gonna happen if if they don't. And obviously the entire community are seemingly very pleasant, but obviously they've already watched people get their heads caved in. Um, on the side of a cliff and this, that and the other. And there's always that pressure of, well, you know, the implication is there. So you best just take the mushrooms and take the mushroom tea and have sex with the uh, young girl while everyone's watching, etc. I kind of get that, but I don't know. At other points, like, they sort of spell out what's going to happen as well. Is it Mark, the lad who... Like, the Will Poet character. Yeah, who goes for a goes for a piss somewhere where he's yeah. shouldn't, and, and yeah. he says moments before he's led away, like they're going to kill me, aren't they? <laughs> like literally, sort of like spells out what's going to happen, and then he's asked to like ushered to to follow this girl, and you kind of know that that is eventually what's going to happen to him. You that, that was obviously it. just a throwaway joke comment, though. Yeah, but I don't know. I've it's got to say that playing, playing yeah, on expectation. I think that's kind of right. Like, I think as an audience, you can see it coming because, well, it's a horror film. <laughs> and uh, but I think if you're in that situation, I think even despite the like ceremonial suicides, I think you still might try and think the best of these people, and that they're not necessarily there to, you know, cut you up and burn you in a barn. I guess I can kind of see that. I, I think it's one of the things that that I don't generally enjoy about this sort of film you're right like as an audience you kind of know what's happening and all right like that explanation makes sense from a character point of view but I think like as soon as you kind of see the like idyllic setting and the scores filled with these sort of like folk elements and and you get the eyes sort of like the the dress is all this kind of cult type like white clothing Mm. I just feel like the film is kind of predictable from that point. And look, I'm, look, I'm really like devil's advocating here because there are lots of things I like about it, but I kind of figure you guys will cover that. So There's a lot There's a lot I really like about this film. Uh, much that you've said already, I think there's some really cool cinematography. There's a lot of like upside-down camera shots that, that in a very simple way I think just are disturbing they're just not quite right and it, i think it puts you a little bit on edge seeing that kind of stuff there was um one particular like change of scene that i thought was really good which is when she uh when danny gets upset in the in the apartment near the beginning walks into the bathroom and then it's the bathroom on the plane although that's a really nice kind of cut of scene early on there is a quite like really atonal almost solo string kind of score and then as you mentioned as they get into the uh kind of swedish village it becomes all like folky and, and definitely wicker manish 
But I really liked that a lot of that was diegetic as well. And they made a point of showing people playing instruments or singing, which again, I think kind of bridged that gap. I think the difference between the like dark and the light is quite well used. Like you say, like the film starts off actually quite dark, even though the rest of the film is set in this sort of idyllic, like Swedish countryside and is very bright and folky. And there's more, even though no horror elements happen in the first 25 minutes of the film, when it's quite a lot darker, that's where you get a lot more of the traditional sort of horror score and things like that. I thought that was a kind of interesting way to do it. Yeah, it almost feels like it's getting those tropes out the way to then introduce you something which is is subverting those tropes. Yeah. It's kind of that intro bit that one of my criticisms is from. And it's not the intro itself. It's just that by the end of the film, I didn't feel like her sister committing suicide and I assume murdering both her parents. I don't think they were in on the gag. Yeah. I just don't think it had any purpose by the end of the film. And you two guys who have watched it more than once, you might have noticed something else. But other than... I dis- disagree with that. Like, I yeah. think the whole reason for Florence's decision at the end and the fact that she stayed and is all based around the idea that she was finding a new family and, like, she'd been welcomed into this family. Like, none of the things that she did in the film is justifiable if you take away the incident from the start. And I think... Does that make sense? I mean, it certainly makes sense. I'm, I, just as a premise I hadn't considered, I'm not immediately... I don't know if I'd completely agree, but it, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely with you. I just think as soon as she saw the first deaths, she would have left. And the only reason... Like I say, I still felt like it was a threadbare reasoning. But the only reason that she stayed is because the guy who brought them there like spoke to her and said what had happened to his parents dying and how this was his family and he'd been welcomed into it and it gave his life a purpose and she was kind of searching for that. Yeah, no, I think she that's... She was kind of searching I, for that. I think that's fair. I mean, during the watch, I did get to the end and just sort of thought, I don't... The only connection I really saw was her reaction to when the two elders, uh, Logan, run themselves um, <laughs> off a cliff and that kind of idea of at least within their mind, suicide with a purpose versus her sister's apparent pointless suicide. Like, we don't learn anything about that or why it happened. But I think you raise a good point there. I can accept that. I think the the family ties idea runs through the whole film. For me, it does anyway. Like, she's in with Christian and his band of friends who she's trying her best to to get on with even though it's evident that no one wants her to be to be there apart from maybe Pele and not even Christian want, wants her on on board i mean Christian to me is just a de- pretty deplorable character throughout but all the way through she's she's making an effort and she's she, she's always trying to like calm the waters between everyone and you know be a mediator for all the arguments and everything and and then towards the end, when obviously when the climax is there and Christian is dressed in this, he's in his wheelchair and he's paralyzed and she has a conscious decision to make then whether to choose, because she gets the choice between random lottery in one of these people she's never met or cutting her ties with Christian, burning him alive in this 
in this crazy like finale and obviously she makes the conscious decision to cut her ties with that family and join this new family and I think it it runs pretty deep throughout for me definitely on a side note I really laughed out loud at that little uh, lottery moment I was really hoping he'd go like <laughs> two fat ladies <laughs> on its own 45 sorry Jerry you're in the barn <laughs> sorry Jerry set yourself on fire lad. <laughs> um that actually i mean your perspectives on that make a lot more sense to me i didn't necessarily feel it at the time when i was watching the film but that that certainly gives it more context i think along with the cinematography i think the sound design is often really cool during that kind of suicide jump there's a bit where uh as we've mentioned the old man doesn't die straight away and they have a ceremony where they come with a big old mallet and bash his head in until he dies and the mallet strikes have no sound whatsoever and i think that is a a really good choice it makes it it made me imagine watching that scene and that kind of adrenaline moment where your heart is racing so much all of the sound is just void and uh you're just seeing this thing happen at the same bit i mean it's kind of that section that i noticed a lot of the sound stuff but when the they've already watched one person go over the cliff and they're watching the second and their protests are like muted until he jumps and then it just sort of ups in volume and it's that i think the choices in that were were really really good yeah because sam you just mentioned the cinematography or whatever is is impressive i mean the one thing i will say that i really like about this film in particular is the the location and like the art design and the fact that basically, particularly on repeat viewings, you can all you can almost map out the entire place. I just love love the design of it completely. It's it just feels yeah. like a real place. It's just amazing to watch. Like there's mm. there's so much in there, like foreshadowing. It's so yep. entertaining. And even if you weren't into the horror aspect, there's so much more to look at and to listen to. I think Agreed. I think for me the whole, however they make the effects that when when Florence first takes the mushrooms and, mm-hmm. and she's walking around and there's that distortion of reality, like that is the most Super realistic. Cool. Yeah, it's, and, it, and it's the most like taking mushrooms I have ever seen in a film. There's <laughs> films that are, you, you know, there's films that are specifically aimed at drug tripping like Fear and Loathing, for example, and they're just absolutely yeah. off the wall. Whereas that, you watch it and you're like, if you've ever taken mushrooms, it's like, wow, that is actually so, you know, so close to it. It's uh, just really interesting to see. There's times it does it really subtly as well. Like, it's not even focused on a particular character. And you're just like, there's trees, like, moving a bit weird in the background. Yeah, like, background buildings will just warp a little bit. Yeah, it's like like you said about the um, upside-down shots. There's just loads of stuff throughout it that just keeps... Keeps you on edge, keeps you slightly, slightly disorientated. It's just unsettling all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could make the argument that within the horror film context or whatever, a lot of the characters get their just desserts because they've committed a sin or whatever. I mean, I don't agree that any of them deserve anywhere near what they got. 
felt pretty sorry for for Mark. I mean, basically, he just pissed on a tree. <laughs> like, you know, there's worse things to have done. I don't really know what the English couple did wrong. It, it think... feels like basically any every one of the characters was was going to get taken out. Basically. Well, they said they said they needed they needed four sacrifices, so or five sacrifices. Four, five. How many people? They need four from outside, four and four oh, yeah. from inside, and then the wild card. One, yeah, and then one other. So, <laughs> I think that I I kind of got the feeling from the conversation that is it Pele um, had with Florence Pugh's character. Yeah, from that from that conversation, I kind of got the impression that the way the film played out was the way that they intended it to play out. That she yeah, was, I mean, she was, <laughs> she was the one who was going to be given the the opportunity to like survive and join the group. That's kind of what he wanted. Yeah, see, this will you miss us? But the thing I was just saying about having not seen the set the last half an hour is blatantly exactly where he explains that, and I'd completely forgotten that. Was no, a, that's that's early that on. Thing. It, it's the the conversation where he sort of hints at it. I think a couple of times, like before they leave, he makes it. He, you don't know if he's just being nice or whether it's true, but it kind of rings true. They, he seems to be the only one who genuinely wants her there. Yeah. And then when she first wants to leave and she says, like, I'm not an anthropologist or, like, I have no reason to be here. I just want to go. And he sort of says, like, you're, you're the person that I was most excited to be here to see this. It doesn't matter. Like, I want you here. And, and so I got the impression that, like they needed a certain number of sacrifices. They had more people that they needed, and he always planned for her to stay with them. And that the other people, it didn't matter what they did, like they were just destined to be the sacrifices. Well, you've yeah, got no, you've got that side of it, but you've also got it could just stem back to the the family, them wanting her to be part of this family. Cause obviously they do like the Maypole dance and that determines uh, who's going to be May Queen, I think it's called in, in that film anyway. But I think there's there's so many bits of just trying to make her feel welcome in general. Like there's obviously the bit a little bit further down the line where Danny witnesses Christian having the orgy and she starts hyperventilating and having these panic attacks. And then all the girls from from the commune are like having the panic attack with her and sharing that moment. So, yeah, I agree. It may be a case that he's obviously he wants her there because he thinks he's picked her out as this person that's going to be May Queen, but it may again, just be comforting her and trying to convey the point that they are, that she is part of their family and obviously wants her to be part of the family. And that's why he cares so much. Well, I think it's both essentially. Like I think he, there's definitely hints at like a love interest there that obviously never yeah. goes anywhere. I mean, at one point he literally kind of spells out, does Christian feel like home to you? He says like, I like Christian, but, but I don't think he's right for you sort of thing. And I think like it's a lot of the film is kind of hinting at and obviously, the, the fact that he's like interested in her. Obviously, towards the end, when she gets crowned May Queen, he does give her like a, a big old smooch, which is not a family-sized smooch. <laughs> Mind you, Hold they've on. already <laughs> pointed out that, yeah, family love family in uh, in this community. <laughs> Interest is all good, so... Yeah. 
I think it helped that, at least from their point of view, that everything they did is a good thing. Like it was either predestined or it's for the land or for their spirits and that these people's sacrifices, they should be happy about it. They're going to be in balance with everything. Like they just don't see it as a negative. And I think that adds to the that layer of creep. You can rail against somebody who just says, I'm going to kill you because I enjoy killing people. You're like, okay, well, that's a bad character. But if it's somebody who's saying, I'm going to give you the gift of sort of eternal life with nature, you should be happy about this. I think that's even more sinister. <laughs> that's the cult element, isn't it? Like, it's a cult. Yeah, things that are benefiting the cult, even if that means your own death. There are bigger, bigger things at play. You can sell it as whatever you want, like the idea that you're at one with nature, but essentially you are doing something that helps the cult. For me, that's what makes films like Midsummer and Wicker Man and Kill List like so terrifying is that it's not goodies v baddies. It's it's one area of the world that is culturally different to another. And, you know, these Americans go over and even though it's like horrific to them, the, the Swedish commune are just like, well, that's just what we do. They, they want to jump off this cliff because that's the end of the life cycle. And that's, that's what they do. It's not, you know, it's not culturally inappropriate. It's not terrifying, but, you know, and that's what, that's what makes it so terrifying to people outside of the culture, I guess, is that they don't find it disturbing. And that's why it is so disturbing. What did yeah, spawn? What did people think of the like pacing of the film? Because it's fairly long and fairly slow. I think it's incredibly well paced, personally. Yeah, it's slow paced in the sense that it's a a character piece, but there's there's no boring moments for me at all. No, it's super I, compelling. I agree. I think the slow pacing actually like adds to it. Uh, it, it again, it's that sense of just constant dread, waiting for the other shoe to drop, like just waiting for the for the bad thing to happen and there's even terror when it doesn't you're like it the near misses of things that you think are gonna lead into something horrible and, and sort of don't i think that works as well but initially i was thinking like this feels like it's taking a long time to get into its premise as i say having spoke to you guys now and, and maybe looking at the family suicide part in a different light i can perhaps see how that is necessary to flesh that bit out but I did think it, because uh, what is it, about two hours, 20 minutes? Something like that. Yeah, yeah and so I think good... it takes maybe half an hour for them to get to Sweden. Like, it is a, yeah. it's quite a long opening bit. In movie terms, yeah, that's, that's a good old chunk, isn't it? And uh, maybe in retrospect, it's not a bigger problem as I perhaps thought it was. Um, I'm only asking, because I was thinking about it, because I felt like the film was long. The reason I like things often when they're really slow-paced is because I think often that's the thing that builds the drama and the tension, and it's kind of necessary if you just push through those bits then you're not building that at all. And the reason I felt it was long, I think, is because I wasn't clearly as drawn into the world as you guys were. Like, I, I, I think I was permanently removed from it because... I did sort of question the believability of some of the characters and decisions that people make and things like that. And so it sort of felt like it was a bit slow paced for me because that tension wasn't doing what it's set out to do for me. Whereas actually the pacing's probably fine, but it just didn't it didn't work for me because it didn't I just wasn't involved enough. 
I agree the pacing at the beginning of the film it is you know it's it's slow and it is it's quite jarring as well like you've got bits in it that are really slow and then all of a sudden you get hit with these like punchy images of of the of the family dying and obviously she's having these flashbacks etc but I think as soon as the the drugs start to come into it and I'm getting involved in watching it and feeling a part of it it's intentionally slow and drowsy and like you kind of floating through it with these people that are taking these drugs where time can be distorted and you kind of you know going over to this area of the commune and looking at this pretty quill and I don't know I was just completely enveloped in in the whole thing to be honest like it could have been I went to see it at the cinema when it came out and it was probably the quickest two hours and 20 minutes of the film I've ever seen to be honest Sorry, I've got distracted by just seeing <laughs> the IMDb page open in the background and there's a question that says how much of this movie is accurate for the Swedish culture? <laughs> 100%. Which is a great question. <laughs> yeah, daily, daily occurrence, mate, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> 72, jump off a cliff. <laughs> Brilliant. Are we ready for some scores? Okay, scores on the doors. Marco, do you want to give us your score? Yeah, I don't think I've said very much, but I don't. I don't really have anything to criticise. I, I love the film. It's a, it's an easy nine for me, pushing a ten to be honest. I think it's one of the best films of uh, the year it came out by far. Superb. A bit like Andy, I'm not a huge horror fan, so it's often difficult for me to compare this as a kind of genre piece as how does it hold up against lots of other horrors but if i look at it from what it was i guess trying to do it thoroughly creeped me out at parts the tension really had me in parts i think it was really successful in what it was aiming for it's a strong eight for me go on tom yeah i'm i'm in agreement with mark really i just think it's it's virgin on masterful for me like as far as horrors go it's it's unique it's just i don't want to say it's genre defined because that sounds like an exaggeration but it's like no other film i've ever seen and that's what i look for really especially in a horror film it's so hard to make something remotely original and apart from the occasional like trope that it follows you know and like idiots coming into like this culture and obviously doing things they shouldn't and it follows a few silly tropes but apart from that it's it's faultless really so i'm gonna say nine nine out of ten i could see you considering that big oh, old I head there. there man i, really I was on that. my third on my first episode <laughs> <laughs> all righty well look i don't like horrors generally and like i say like it has horror elements it is a horror film but there's lots of other things going on which are good it loses a couple of points for me just entirely on the basis that I don't like that sort of graphic violence. Like, it does nothing for me. I don't enjoy it. I look away at those bits. So that knocks it down a little. And a lot of the kind of, like, suspense bits worked for me. And some of it, I completely, like, get where you guys are coming from. I just didn't feel it myself. I didn't get drawn into that sort of world. I question the characters sometimes. and. I can't say that I think it achieves everything it's set out to do for me either. So 
I actually, I'll be honest, I wrote down five out of 10 and I'm going to give it a six because I think I was being harsh. I think a lot of the comments that you've made about the, like the cinematography and the, I thought the score was excellent. And I thought Florence Pugh was excellent as well. We haven't really talked about the actors that much, but I thought she was standout, like very believable in everything that she did. So I'm going to give it a six out of ten because I think I think five is is harsh. There's lots of good things about it, but I wouldn't see it again. Brutal. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, let us move on then to the album. So the album this time is uh, then we saw land by Tongue from 2010. When I see land, you will conjure up a storm. Sammy, your choice. Right, this is the bit I've really struggled with. <laughs> I uh, I was really looking forward to being on the podcast, but the only one that I've actually watched is um, the one where Will gives everyone the Deftones album to listen to and he gets absolutely slated for it. Completely um, destroyed. Did you watch it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good man. It's a hard album get, to watch. Getting those, that. getting those sneaky <laughs> little videos in. <laughs> absolutely. So in contrast to talking about films, I know nothing about music. You three are all obviously in a band and have a lot of musical background by comparison and I literally have no defence for this album other than I've liked it for a long time and Tongue have a they've got a strong history for me like I listened to I don't know if any of you guys remember the show that used to be on I think it was on like MTV Indie or something it was called 120 Minutes and it was on really late at night it just used to be a couple of hours of independent music. And I used to just love listening to that and dis- discovering weird, wonderful songs. And Tongue cropped up in that for me. And ever since then, I've just really been into them. I think they've got a really distinct sound. And they always do really interesting stuff, like seeing them live, loads of interesting instruments and percussive bits and bobs. And I can listen to them all the time. And even after years of listening to him, I can listen to a song and find new bits in there that I've never heard before. Yeah, great. Overall, I relatively enjoyed this album. I think it's a mixed bag. I think there are some points that I think are genuinely quite good. And I just think there are some bits that are, it never strays into bad. I just think sometimes it, it falls into maybe a missed opportunity. One of the big ones that stood out to me on early listens was they've obviously got two vocalists. I assume it's two, could be could be more. But they have like a male and female voice and very rarely does it harmonise. It's almost always kind of unison vocals. And I think if you've got two singers, I, I would have preferred it maybe if they took more advantage of that. I like both their voices though. Like I didn't, uh, kind of sonically, the overall tone of it was quite nice. There are some really interesting kind of counterpoint melody rhythm bits in, in a couple of songs. There's one by Dusk, They're in the City, kind of starts with this, uh, like a little electro beat and then comes in with this acoustic guitar and, and yeah, has this kind of playoff rhythm. 
I think it's quite varied as an album. Like I think overall it's kind of got a sort of broad pop folk, but there's quite a few changes of instrumentation. As I say, there's some kind of electronic instruments in there, some more kind of traditional guitar band style things, some more bluegrass-ish, kind of bringing in some banjos and finger picking and that kind of thing. I think the songs are not unmemorable. I don't think they sort of homogenize, which I think has been a, a criticism of some of the albums we've looked at in the past. I think there's enough variety that the songs do kind of stand alone. I'm just not sure all of them are always that interesting. I think some of them play into to a standard pop song format, which for me yeah, sometimes just leaves me a little bit cold. Like Sam said to me, I'm not sure you're going to like this. I think you might find it a bit twee. yeah i'll say like first up like i i kind of similar to you will i think like i didn't love it but i did like it like there's lots of elements i liked about it i do disagree with some of your points but i'll get onto that later like i was putting it on whilst i was getting ready in the morning for work a lot of the time like i woke up with tongue in my ear um (laughs) gross save myself for that joke and i um what was my point? I got so lost in that joke that I've completely forgotten it. It's a tongue in ear joke. Oh, yeah, Twee. Um, I do think there are bits, there are songs on here that I think are a bit Twee, like that sort of just Twee pop folk, where the melodies are perfectly nice and I don't think there's a ton of like interest going on around it. I think it's a little bit formulaic at times. And some of the formulas are things that I like as well, where they have a riff that plays and the chords kind of move underneath it. Like I like that uh, kind of trope quite a lot, but it does it quite a few times. Slightly disagree on the vocals as well. I didn't particularly like either of their voices massively. I didn't strongly dislike them, but... I don't think the guy in particular, I don't think is a particularly strong singer. He sort of reminded me a little bit of Elliot Smith with that like really un- undersung, like breathy kind of vocals. I never used to like Elliot Smith because of his vocals. I couldn't really get past it. And I kind of love him now, but I think I think the singer kind of lacks the, I guess, the sort of emotional like character to his voice that I get from Elliot Smith. These are loads of these are negatives, and actually, like overall, <laughs> there are lots of things I like about it. I don't find all the songs tweet at all. I think there's plenty of interesting stuff going on, and I think the vocals are way better when they're both singing together, even if it's in unison, which happens a lot. And the vocal just seemed instantly stronger. Their vocals really like blend together nicely. What were your thoughts, Mark? Sorry, Sam, I didn't like it. I don't think it's terrible. It's certainly inoffensive but i just found it kind of bland mostly my favorite track was the instrumental by dust they were in the city i think that's i actually quite like the track before it as well but with whiskey which i feel like is a little bit of a like minor like one of the few sort of minor tracks on the album i agree like by dust they were in the cities uh also probably my fave it's a little bit proggy and it sort of goes, there's a few changes. And I think ultimately the unison vocals thing, which 
two of you have mentioned this didn't work for me i just found it really underwhelming and the opening track made me think of like cbb's or something <laughs> um <laughs> like i don't know and then there was some like i kind of like october because it feels a bit more of a pure sad folk song but throughout they've got this weird juxtaposition of the music generally being fairly upbeat and slightly twee but then the vocals are always kind of doing these sad folk melodies and uh that juxtaposition doesn't work for me at all it's uh, i don't know go go with one or the other i feel like i think the songs that are the most like happy clappy folk are the ones i like the least Weirdly, I think I preferred the second half of the album more than the first. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that as well. The kind of electronics over the folk music like, is an interesting idea. And again, it felt sort of a bit half-assed at times. Like When they use it, it's, it's, it's okay, but it, I don't know. I feel like there was that new folk movement like in the 2000s and there was a, a few bands that I listened to at the time. There was like Kings of Convenience. There was Turin Breaks. At times it even sounds like something like Jack Johnson to me. Unfortunately, I find all of those others a little bit more memorable. I think ultimately it just comes down to the vocals. I just, they, they don't work for me. Um, I wish they'd harmonise more. There's a couple of moments they do, and it's quite nice. But that unison thing, I found it difficult. It's, it, I'm very much in the same place that Andy was with the Stereo Lab album. I just found myself finding it hard to sort of listen through. But I say all this, I absolutely don't think you're uh, you're wrong or anything for, for well liking the band, Sam. And it's possible that... <laughs> It's possibly, you know, another album by them I might prefer, not writing off the band. No, you definitely... I appreciate you saying that, mate. I mean... You're definitely not getting the Deftones. uh, The Deftones. (laughs) I feel like like they do think less of me because of that. I do appreciate that. I mean, that's the problem. I I was sifting through albums and trying to find something that would be, like, challenging and interesting, but at the end of it all, I was just listening to that on the way to work and I was just like, I just like that. I'm just going to chuck that out there. And it might, yeah, and it's not, it's not very challenging. And you could argue that it's, it's a bit soft and there's not, there's not enough going on, etc. But yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. All power to you, to be honest. I just, the, <laughs> the, the one thing which I should have investigated more and I didn't is some of the lyrics sounded pretty interesting and fun, but I didn't listen to it closely enough to sort of take those properly away from it. And I didn't look them up, which maybe I should have done. Because obviously folk music is a lot about the lyrics. And again, just that that vocal unison stuff, I just found it really underwhelming. It's a shame, I think, that they chose to use unison a lot of the time instead of using... Like you say, the most interesting bits, I think, are often the bits where they harmonise. But I just... I really had an issue with both of their voices on their own. And that issue was kind of resolved for me when they were singing in unison. Like I just felt like the the blend of their voices together just instantly, neither of their vocals are strong enough on their own to sort of draw me into a song. So I sort of, 
I don't mind the unison thing because at least it made the vocals palatable for me. I think I might have hated it if it was just the male vocalist on his own. And I didn't hate it at all. Like there were there were bits of it I liked. I find Sorry. myself more and more drawn to that undersung style though. In the last, I don't know, a few months, I guess, been listening to more just lazy singing, but yeah, but it's not about the it's not about that for me. That style definitely works. Like I already referenced one person that I think it works well, yeah. for. <laughs> but I think like there's got to be something about the voice that draws you in. There's still got to be sort of character there and interest there. Mm. And like that is entirely a personal opinion. Like this isn't musically based. It just didn't work for me. Like that's yeah. But I didn't, yeah. It's not a criticism of the style. I just didn't they, think there was any sort of character to his voice. No, and they didn't stand out to me as like massive positive points, but I guess I just didn't have a didn't have an issue. I kind of heard it as more of the overall sound than wanting to pick it out as a as a key point. Have you got a favorite song on here, Sam? I don't know. It's it's difficult to choose. That's the issue, is I'm not coming at it with any kind of musical background like and it, it just goes oh, in it's all one you know it's all one noise really and I, I never really think about even even going in depth into the lyrics it's just it's just the actual sound I really enjoy and it's it's as simple as that really for me um but it's it's interesting to get like different perspectives on it for sure you like the uh, the, the tombra Will would say <laughs> a little bit of tombra exactly, yeah Absolute, yeah. It's all about the tombra for me. Dickhead that he is. It's the only word you need to remember. You can name one or two favourites if you want, Sam, if it makes it easier. You don't have to, okay. uh, yeah, it's, you don't have to commit it's really... it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean it's to put really... you on the spot. <laughs> no, no, that's fine, that's fine. It's just, like you say, it's the sound overall that I, uh, I enjoy. But probably, probably Hustle or um with whiskey well with whiskey as well yeah probably one or the other i really like with whiskey like it does that trope thing that i said i like like it does like start with a riff i think the like the little chord sequence with that for start it's like a little five bar chord sequence which is cool like gives it a slightly like off kilter sort of feel i say it's one of the only tracks that's got like a sort of minor like chord sequence going with it. I think the chord sequence is cool. But I think that the the only thing that lets me down for it is that the the chorus is almost identical to the verses, just with a different melody. And the melody isn't quite different enough. It's an interesting song in that it's interesting compared to the rest of the album. I still like it quite a lot. It might even make it onto my Beast playlist, the highest possible accolades that i could that i could give a song but yeah i think as a song it sort of even just a b section or just something to sort of break it up a little middle eight it it gets a tad samey by the end of the song but i still think it's a cool idea to build a song on so but it's possibly my favorite track as well marco you got a favorite tune i've already said it the instrumental was that by dusk Um, they were in the city the, yeah, which I didn't yeah. I didn't really even make the connection that it was an instrumental until I was thinking about my favourite track. And it kind of stands to reason because, again, I think vocals are the weak point, as I keep saying. And just, yeah, melodically, it's fine. 
the melodies are okay. I don't think there's many that really stand out to me. And just generally, the progressions and stuff are, are good. Like some of the finger-picked guitar I, I quite like. But I think Andy sort of said it before, and it's a, it's a trope of folk music, I suppose, but the track The Roadside as an example. It's kind of got a fairly generic uh, descending riff with sort of single note piano over the top if something's generic it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad I I kind of enjoyed it for the first minute but it's it's pretty much doing the same thing at the end of the song and that is a bit more of a problem I think what about yours man well I I agree with you by dust there in the city was one that I wrote down as uh as one that I enjoyed I do like with whiskey but I think your criticism, Andy, was kind of what I was left with. I think by the end of the song, it wasn't quite as interesting as as where it starts. October, I think, is the standout for me. I think that more kind of down-the-line sort of folk, and I think it is the point where they start to harmonize. And listening through the album in order, it's that point that really kind of pricks my attention is is when they split into the harmony lines. I think if the entire album was, was like October... I don't think that would be a good thing. Like, I think it's mm. it's the fact that it stands out amongst, like I say, a pretty varied line of songs, to be fair. But yeah, I think October's was the one that kind of stood out most in my listens. I like October as well. It feels a bit more classic to me. Yeah, and, and you know, criticising the album for, let's say, maybe following certain tropes. Like, that song does it as well. There are a different mm-hmm. set of tropes, but... I guess they're just tropes that kind of fall into my uh, wheelhouse a bit more than some of the others. Uh. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting that you mentioned the kind of percussiveness of it, Sam, because I I kind of felt like I would have liked way more of that because I think there were occasionally sort of interesting percussive elements. Some of it's from the kind of electronica like bits, but it never really hits on like big sort of driving percussion. I think an album that has quite a lot of percussion on it, I would have liked that. Like I like the choice to use lots of different percussive elements as opposed to just having a a kit. And I just, I feel like they sort of did that, but didn't lean on it enough. I, I know what you're saying. I think, I think the vibe that I'm getting overall is that, it's neither one way or the other, which is, you know, an issue in itself. And I think that's why I lean towards it because it's just as insulting as it might be to call it easy listening. I enjoy just listening to it at any time, really. It doesn't, it doesn't challenge me at all. It's, you know, it definitely is easy listening. Like, yeah. Mark made the comparison to how I felt last week, which is I listened to the album just before we started the podcast. And I decided that, I actually just didn't like it. Like, I was finding it difficult to put on and listen to. Whereas this album, I never, I'd never struggled to listen to it. I'd happily put it on now and listen to it. It's very, like, pleasant background music. But there just wasn't enough things that actually drew me into it to, like, really love it. Yeah, I get that completely. Like, there's, it's, it's a nice listen. And like you say, it's it's really melodic and it's enjoyable, but it's not challenging. It is not at all. Um, but I think that's, that's why I've listened to it so much over the years. It's just no matter the mood, or no matter the situation, I do enjoy it. 
I should say, like, things don't have to be, like, challenging. Like, there's loads of, like, super stripped-back stuff. I would say, for me, even more so than Will and Mark, I think my listening taste um, leans towards that. Not necessarily leans towards that, like, stripped-back sound, but, like, I think there are more things that I like than maybe they do that's quite folky, sort of simple and and stripped-back, but... Like I say, like if you're going to strip things away, then you really need to like the elements that are there. And because I didn't like the vocals and there wasn't quite enough interest for me in like the riffs and stuff and the chord progressions. Yeah, it's not the fact that it's simple that is the reason I didn't like it. Yeah. Didn't like it as harsh, I'd say that. <laughs> um. As far as scores go, can I can I score first? Am I go for it, buddy? With that, right? Sounds a bit harsh, but it's a four out of ten for me. You know, that's that's not to say that it's terrible. Again, I think maybe I'd prefer them on other records, possibly. And you know, I'd probably like watching them live. But yeah, this particular record, unfortunately, it just didn't grab me so i can't go higher than four i think matt sounds... berry's looking looking pretty good now isn't he <laughs> oh, matt, <laughs> matt berry high flying on the five i um i think it's worth noting for sam's sake that like we make a point that five is average so like five isn't isn't intrinsically a bad score setting up that caveat i'm going to give this album a five i think it is there are bits i do like there are bits i I don't think there's anything I can really point to and say, like, I hate that. I think that's it. I think the album just sort of falls into fine for me. I think it is a pleasant listen. I didn't struggle to listen through it, but it was one of those where my mind would wander from time to time and it would, I'd have to kind of think, oh, yeah, I need to kind of focus on this. Yeah, and really listen. There it is. Go on, Sam. Let's break it up. Oh, no, I mean... (laughs) obviously it's a 10 it's obviously a 10 um but i've got an obscenely biased opinion for the album and like you say it's got i heard you talking about like the nostalgia value last last time on the on the deftones album and whatnot and like i said before i was really struggling to find something that that could go you know that would challenge you in any way but it's i just ended up falling on something that i enjoy listening to so I'm, I can't give it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm I'm probably never going to listen to it again. Now I've got three expert opinions on it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, for me, it's uh, it's easy listening. So you can't you can't ten out of ten it because it's not you can't groundbreaking. Yeah, of course you can. Not. If you've gone back to it over the course of ten years repeatedly and you still mm. like it as much as you did the first time, then that's. That's a pretty big, uh, big thing. You're right, Mark. It is a ten out of ten. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Good man. I think we I, often uh, give more leeway to films than uh, than music. Like, I think films can be sort of imperfectly made, and we'll go, "Oh, well, great ambition," <laughs> and then an album can <laughs> just be like a bit ordinary. Ah, oh, shit, three. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I've not really thought of that, but yeah, I do do that. Obviously, Sam, you're our first guest person i'm really happy that you brought something that you really like yeah definitely 
I think it's really interesting to like listen to something that that somebody else really really loves and the fact that I don't love it is absolutely irrelevant by like, the by, why, why why should that make any fucking difference to you I'm happy that you like it I'm gonna give it a five as well because it does just fit into that like <laughs> now I'm basically putting five as Matt Berry, as Matt Berry <laughs> where I had no problem listening to it at all I I find it like very pleasant like say there was one song I kind of liked uh two songs really that I kind of liked off it but both of those songs I also kind of had criticisms for the vocals did bother me a bit at times so I do need to mark it down for that but like well said like five is bank average not not heavily criticizing it I thought it was no, I will right. I will take fours and fives across the board that is fine <laughs> by me right oh so I think it is time then to move on to our top five list which, again, Sam's choice in the theme of the film is top five horror films. It might be a bit more complicated with four of us. <laughs> it gives fewer varying options, but we'll see how it goes. Marco, do you want to start us off, bud? Sure. My number five is the one which I expect won't be on anyone else's list, which is a 1987 film called Born of Fire by a director called Jamil Delvalli. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Ah, oh, I had um, it at number three. <laughs> <laughs> no, otherwise gonna, never, uh, I've never, I've heard, never of heard of it. No. <laughs> no. I'm I'm just gonna read you the uh little synopsis here. It's very simple. An astronomer and a flautist have a showdown in Turkey with a music master out to melt earth. Now <laughs> <laughs> that is a wonderful premise. Yeah, completely drawn in. Now, I will say, that makes it sound like kind of an absurd comedy, and it, it very much is, and it's, uh, I mean, it's ludicrous, but it's um, it's completely unique. I've never seen anything like it at all. The landscapes, it, it they filmed it in, I think it was mostly filmed in Turkey, and it's all this volcanic landscape and waterfalls and all of this. It's just utterly remarkable on a visual level. It's just extraordinary. Like the the only word I can use for the film is extraordinary. It's just a an assault on the senses, and there's scenes of anguish which are just I don't know. They're so captivating. Do I know what the film is about? Not really. Do I care? No. Um, it's a it's a truly bizarre one, and um, it's it's not necessarily an easy watch. But I definitely recommend giving it a go. Quality. Well, you. What you got, Sam? Right. Um, my number five, then, I guess. What what I tried to do, because I'm quite, I guess I'm quite a fan of horror, I tried to pick one horror film from a different kind of subgenre of horror for each of my selections. So my first one uh, is Wreck, uh, the Spanish horror film. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but, um, yeah, I think it got a, pretty much a take-for-take remake in uh, in quarantine. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a 2007 Spanish horror film, and it's one of the first ones I saw that was like the handheld camera, that kind of genre. And it's it's about a, a Spanish news reporter that's doing like a a small piece on the day to day lives of uh, some Spanish firemen. They go into an apartment block because they're being called out for 
one reason or another and they get there and not everything is as it seems. And it, the whole film is, it's filmed in this apartment block and it kind of just descends into this like zombie-esque religious like mind meld really. It's just, it's all over the place. And it's, it's, I found it absolutely terrifying the first couple of times I watched it and I've watched it umpteen times. Yeah. It's brilliant. I, uh, I think as far as like handicam movie making goes, I think horror is the genre that it most is most effective in. Yeah. Good in that scenario. Having said that, I've not seen Rex, so might be shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good pick for that for that genre for sure. Um, so caveat time. <laughs> I thought I was going to really struggle with this list because I don't like horror, um, and then I realised that there's a ton of films that I like that I wouldn't have classed as horror, but clearly are. So a lot of my list is that, like, they're very... I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me that they're horror, and I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me that they're good films, but they're pretty, like, obvious, big-budget Hollywood choices. So, yeah, not a particularly interesting list, so sorry about that. And number five, I think, is the only outlier of that, uh, which is The Evil Dead. I picked The Evil Dead 1 because I think it's probably the only one that you can actually class as a horror I think after that, I actually probably prefer two and three. I say three, like Army of Darkness. Uh, but neither of neither two or three is is a horror. Like two is, uh, it just leads into that like dark comedy way way more. Yeah. Whereas I one, that... I think is a is an out and out horror. Like it is definitely the thing that makes it not frightening, and therefore more appealing to me, is it's all the things that I find like super, super endearing about it. Like the fact that it's incredibly low budget. I still think like the, the, the demons look great in it, considering that they are made up and it's probably cost them about £1.50 to do it. I, I think like Sam Raimi's like vision for that film is, he clearly has a massive love for that kind of demon horror film. Yeah. I kind of love everything about it. And, yeah, I like both the other films, and I also quite like the TV series as well, which basically does the same thing. <laughs> I never got around to watching the TV series. I've um, been watching series two recently. I watched series one a little while ago, but series two came on Netflix relatively recently. So I've sweet. been watching it within the last couple of weeks. Um, I think that's a great choice. I, I think you're right, like two and three start to lean into the comedy more, but I think one is is enough of a horror to satisfy this list like andy i'm not a big horror guy there's only one on my list that i think we had a little chat prior to this the difference between a thriller and a horror and where those lines blurred and i think this is in of my list this is the most blurry so you may disagree but my number five is misery based on Stephen king's book obviously he's traditionally a horror writer and i must admit this isn't one of his most supernatural horror but is essentially about sort of kidnapping and torture and reprogramming i think james khan and kathy bates are superb in it especially kathy bates and it's just one of my favorite movie moments where throughout the film she's got her own little kind of versions of swear words that are twee 
And when he finally gets under her skin and she pushes him up against the wall and calls him a fucking cocksucker and all the bile in her voice is wonderful. I think that's uh, just a superb moment of like acting and movie making. So I will accept if you, if you feel it's maybe not a horror, but I think it's a great film. It's on my, yeah. yeah, it's horrifying. You're fine to have it. And it was on my substitutions list. I'll Super. go into the reason later, but I, if somebody else had said the film that I would have substituted it for, then it would have been would have been banged into my list. So, no, no, it is horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's some some scenes in it, and I like that whole the where the main focus is on you know just the relationship between the two people, and it's like you say, it's it's quite slow burning in in a lot of ways, but. Yeah, brilliant. Both of them are great in it. James Cannon's brilliant as well when he's he's moved, he's tra- like crawling around the house trying to uh, find ways to escape while she's out. Oh, and when she hobbles him, like it's so oh, grim, horrific, isn't it? Yes, yeah. squirmy. Yeah, super Awful. cool. Okay, that's my number five. Okay, uh, my number four. I decided to go for a more well, what I thought was recent. Turns out it was two thousand and eight, and I've gone for the strangers. Yeah. which I saw in the cinema and enjoyed quite a bit. And then we watched it again a couple of years later and it genuinely scared the shit out of me to the point where, like, no shame, went to bed afterwards and it was one of those where, you know, as a uh, man in his 30s, I actually just didn't want to turn out the light. Rare that these things happen. I don't know why specifically that movie did it, particularly on the second time around. It wasn't didn't bother me that way the first time at all. But I mean, for that alone, if a if a horror film is designed to scare you, that one uh, definitely did the job for me. So yeah, yeah. I um, I was tempted to put that on my list too. It's um, it's one of those films that kind of stems a few spin-offs that are just nowhere near as good as the as the first one, but there's some moments in that that I thought were really original. There's, mm-hmm. there's um, one point that stands out in the, in it for me where Liv Tyler stood in the kitchen yeah, and uh, she's a bit spooked by something that's happened and, mm-hmm. and the camera is looking from Liv Tyler into the living room and you just yeah. see that silhouette of the man it's with amazing. the Hessian head just come mm-hmm. out. It's terrifying. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's super cool. Uh, you're up, man. All right, okay. Yeah, okay. number four. Oh. Number four, I am going to go for uh, 2009's Antichrist, Lars von Trier's Antichrist. Um, I'm a big fan of Lars von Trier. Like, he's done some great films. Um, this was one of the first Lars von Trier films I, I saw. And it's, I mean, some bits of it are just shocking I'm not sure, maybe just shocking for shocking sake, but it it really did stick with me for so long. And what I find interesting about Lars Andre is like, even though some of it is just, it's so disturbing and crass and, and it's really hard to watch. Some of it's just like really visceral, but it's also like very beautiful as well as some bits in his films, like cinematography wise there's a bit in antichrist where there's like this slow-mo bit with a fox that talks and it's like an embodiment of the antichrist and it's it's shot amazingly and charlotte gainsburg or gansborg however you pronounce it is is just so 
good in it. She's so terrifying. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and Antichrist is is fucked up for sure. Yeah, it's it's really fucked up, and it's. I mean, he's done. It seems like Lars von Trier is just one of those guys that's always pushing the boundaries. And I know I've spoken to Andy in the past about Melancholia, which he did, which, which I know Andy's not really that keen on, but some of them hit and some of them don't with Lars von Trier. And and for me, Antichrist just it's it just makes me squirm like thinking about certain bits in it with with both the characters and some rusty scissors where rusty scissors don't belong. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, really good. <laughs> Look, Melancholia's got the loudest noise that I've ever heard at the cinema in it. And that was a that was a huge plus for me. It was, it was, uh, it was also really great that it happens right at the end of the film, so at least it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to admit, yeah, I've, real- not, I've not seen Antichrist, so I'll give it the benefit of the doubt, but Melancholia is one of the worst viewing experiences I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far, but I didn't enjoy it. But the if I was ranking that, I would give it a whole extra point for the loud noise. Yeah, it did. It made the seats in the cinema rattle. It did. It was good. Uh I think we've on to your number four, Andy. Alrighty. Uh well this is where my list starts getting really shit. So number four, 28 days later. Yeah, no perf- film. Perfectly good choice, yeah. I think, like, well, the thing is, is that, like, it is a horror film because it just it has so many. I mean, it's basically a zombie film. I, I think mean, that's it. Yeah, they make their own then, version, but it, it's a zombie. Yeah, they're they're not like specifically zombies. Like, there's the the rage virus. I, I quite like Danny Boyle anyway. I think he's uh, a good director, but it doesn't lean into like too many of those like horror tropes. The thing that you were saying, Mark, about your pick. The fact that it like really, like you went to bed as a thirty-year-old man and was scared by it. That's just the sort of film that I stay away from. I, I don't like that. Would that instantly knocks it down for me? I am just a pathetic human being. Twenty-eight days later doesn't scare me, but I think the whole idea around it is like fascinating. Like as a story, it's super like minimalist. You got like empty, empty city, like huge swathes of like silence like i think it's on un- it's unsettling like it doesn't need those big moments and they do happen a little bit more in the second half but it's the the kind of the tension in the world that it built up that i really like about it and this list has been interesting for me because i guess i've never really considered that that's a horror film i just presumed i didn't like the genre whereas actually there's tons of things that I think like very comfortably fit within the genre that I like. I just, yeah, didn't really consider them in that. It'll probably make me watch more horror films and give them more of a chance because if somebody had said to me 28 days later, is this horror film, then I probably wouldn't have kind of watched it. But I think it's great. Yeah, Quality. yeah good it's choice. It was certainly on my long list. Number four, Will. Yeah, I think a bit like a bit like yourself there, buddy. Like a lot of my choices tend to be horror and something, and it's the and something that normally normally kind of brings me in. Yeah, hundred percent. My number four choice. I'm going to pick basically on the on the cinema experience. So for a little while, a couple of years ago, it was really hard to get any time off work if it wasn't in the very middle of the day. So I'd just take three hours off work and go to the cinema. 
and then come back and just do another couple of hours and then, then go home. And I went and had a complete solo on my Todd experience of watching A Quiet Place at the cinema and thought it was superb. I thought it was excellent film. Again, broadly, is it a sci-fi horror? I, I guess they never really get into what the monster or alien or thing is. I think it's a drama first. It is definitely a horror. I had it at number three on my list, which I will now substitute out. For misery. But, oh, no, you can't have that one either. <laughs> but the um, the family dynamic mm. is just superb in it. I think but yeah, bringing... it's, defi- it's definitely enough of a horror to clarify as, like, count as a horror. Yeah, sure. I, I think bringing in that premise that, like, sound is the is the enemy just sets up so many interesting and like really tense moments of the baby being born and then having to keep it in this sort of air-filled coffin to stop it from alerting all the monsters. It just added a new spin to what I guess broadly is a kind of zombie film. You know, it's the survivors against this mindless, deadly horde. The whole sound aspect, um, I think, really kind of changed it i think the characters are really good in it as you say the little like family dynamic it starts with a real kick to the nads in the opening kind of gambit of the film and sets up the stakes of what 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 they're up against it's a really tidy hour and a half as well like it's super tight and i thought yeah i thought it was absolutely brilliant i mean it might have been that just going to the cinema on my own and (laughs) in the middle of a work day but uh yeah i loved it no, I've seen it a couple of times and I think it, I, like I watched it once, <laughs> like I was going out with somebody who was Italian, as you well know, and her dad came over to visit and spoke a little bit of English, but not a huge amount. And we watched it partly because there's not very much dialogue in it. So it's a pretty easy film to follow. Like I was just completely like drawn into that like world. It's, uh, I think it's superb. Like I say it's a drama first because... The uh, the drama elements were the the bits that I really liked. I, I love the fact that it doesn't explain the world. It doesn't explain how this happened. Because why would you understand the context of it if you were in that world? Yeah, there's no and scientist saying, oh, we know what this is because they're all dead. Yeah. Uh, you, you get little snippets on like newspapers, don't you, that yeah. something is coming, something has started happening. It's mental that they're making a second one. Like I'll watch it. But it is mental that they're making a second one. It is bizarre. It's such an enclosed story. There is no reason to make another film. Because unless you go to a sort of different group of people, it almost feels like the next one could spill into action. Like the end of this film suggests the answer for their alien monster problem. But I don't really want to see that film. I like it just being left that, okay, that, that happens. And I think I think what I'd want them to do is almost go and if you find a different group of people, if you've got many other stories to tell in that. No, I think like I'll watch the second one because I want to see what they attempt to do with it. Mm, but I'm yeah. not going in with any expectations of it being good. No, it'd be a shame as well because I think the first one is so good. Anyway, that is my number four. Marco, you're number three, good sir. So I'm going to steal a couple of the obvious ones. Because horror is weird. Like, there's I I am a horror film fan, and there's there's tons to draw from. But 
I feel like the classics are a classic, are classics for a reason. So number three is is the thing, John Carpenter. It's a superb choice. The only I, I had it at number two, and the only reason that I've dropped it to three is because I watched the other one this weekend, and I haven't seen the thing for probably a, a long while. Let's put it that way, which is ridiculous because I think it's a flawless horror film. It's fantastic. Easily John Carpenter's best film. Agreed. In terms of just the actual way it's made. I mean, I love Big Trouble in Little China and everything like that, but the thing is just a class above. It looks fantastic. Kurt Russell's beard. (laughs) 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 It's got a a brilliant score. And the the whole paranoia theme is just incredible. And it, it it has pulls that neat trick of it's been a long while since I've watched it, as I said. So that scene, the uh, the testing scene. Oh yeah. Oh, which is classic. one one of one of the great scenes of cinema, really. Absolutely. Um, and I've got to the point where I've forgotten how it goes down. So the next time around I know that'll be even more of a treat. Yeah. There are just so many memorable bits. I remember seeing this for the first time when uh, I was a kid and my parents had gone out and I'd recorded it the night before. But when I'd recorded it, I also went on to record a making of documentary afterwards that was super ace as well, and going into all of the animatronics that look better than the site than the CGI that followed it. The head that turns into a like an upside down spider is just Incredible. awesome, just so good. When they first uncover the spaceship in the ice, it's a huge painted backdrop and mm-hmm. looks... It's like old-fashioned movie-making ideas, but done to such a perfect level that they just don't seem to age. Yeah. Another thing from the DVD as well, I don't know if you've checked it out, is the uh, the commentary. I've not watched the commentary, but is it Carpenter? It's Carpenter and Russell, and oh, I feel... Yes. Basically, 80% of the time is just like them talking about each other's kids and like just completely anything other than to do with the film. (laughs) Go on, Sam. Great choice. Yes, I mean, number three. Right. Number three for me, I'm quite a big fan of like French extreme horror. Uh, They did quite a few like famous ones, but I've got to say, probably my favorite is uh, Martyrs. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen it, but it is. It's melting. Yeah, it's disturbing, very disturbing. But it dances on that fine line of it's it's really graphic and really gory and horrifying, but it's got what I think is a really solid story to back it up. It's really interesting. And all the way through to the end, you're gripped as to what is actually going to happen. And I find that really rare in horror films. It's usually you're in there for me. I've got my hands like this, all like this, and I'm waiting for the jumps. And I'm not. There's some films that I've seen in the past, which are, which are often there's a tip of a cap to saying you know it's 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 a real good horror film, like a Babadook's one that springs to mind. It's supposed to be like this psychological drama, but it it gets lost in the jumpiness to me. I often lose the story because the horror is. I'm, I'm too focused on the jump scares and things whereas martyrs it finds this fine balance it's terrifying and it's graphic and it's jumpy but the story is really really gripping as well it's a great film to be in contrast to the film we watched today bursting heads with a mallet i'm fine with splitting skin with a knife just 
turn, <laughs> turns my stomach. I don't know if this is in the same ballpark because I've not I've not seen uh, Martyrs, was it? Yeah. yeah. But like Hostel. Yeah. Is that a similar kind of thing? I remember gornography being thrown around as a as a genre. <laughs> but I just remember a bit where they cut the tendons on the back of his feet. And then when mm. he stands up and his legs just bend at a right angle and his feet stay still. And at that point I thought, yeah, that's that's quite enough of that. But it's just something about splitting skin with a knife or a razor absolutely fucks me. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. Uh, like yeah, I see steer clear of martyrs. <laughs> I've seen uh, Hostel, 100% agree with you. But funnily <laughs> enough, like if you, I was out at that point. If you take it to the nth degree of gore, like Tarantino might do, I'm fine with that. Like it becomes like it becomes cartoony in its yeah in its extremeness. Yeah, yeah. when it's just realistic yeah, it, enough, it yeah gets me. I like that it pushes the boundaries with the gore. Like there are some bits in it that I like. That is, it's awful, but. I like seeing how far the films can go and how creative they can get with the ideas. But with Hostel, you feel like it's like gore for gore's sake. Whereas in Martyrs, it always sticks within the parameters of what what the story is about. Why are they actually doing this to this person? And it kind of justifies it, even if in a sick and twisted way. And it leaves you afterwards with that feeling of it. Even though the gore itself is unrealistic, the premise is very realistic and it's very like you could imagine something like that happening in some terrifying little cultish town for sure. Superb. Great pick. Cool. <laughs> Go for it, buddy. Uh, yeah. So number three is substitutions time um, because I had a quiet place in there. Um, I don't really remember why this didn't make my list. So great film, um, which is David Cronenberg's, the fly like a body horror i think well, like both sorry sorry i was just gonna say you've got one back because uh, i'm gonna have to sub the fly <laughs> excellent yeah i think like both of i mean who doesn't like gold bloom anyway very lovable guy but like gina davis's character is like very sweet as well and i don't know like the events of the film just seem to like affect him kind of emotionally and like, I think there's quite a, like, it's David Cronenberg, but I think there's sort of a bit of an emotional core to the to the story as well that I really like about it. It's like a really good B-movie, isn't it? Like, I think quite a few of the effects and stuff, I'm not sure that they quite hold up nowadays. I would guess that a lot of it is kind of makeup. and Yeah, I think so. I think until he actually turns into the fly, it, it, there's not, too much that I think you need to worry about the kind of VFX for. I think the actual like design yeah, yeah. looks cool. Um, like the sort of egg capsule teleporters, I think are very cool. I think that's kind of my point. Like I think I think it looks great and like feels very cool, despite the fact that it's probably not like brilliant big budget effects. Mm. I don't know, man. I. <laughs> I've only ever seen The Fly once, and it it really bothered me the uh, the body horror elements. Um, I struggled with that more than like some of the hardcore violence. I don't know why. It, obviously, the, the physical, the practical effects worked for me massively. I was just completely grossed out by it. I think, I it's, say, I, it's, think it's, I think it's got that B movie quality to it, where you're like, well, yeah, you could have 
spent more money on it and it could have looked better, but I still think the effects look great. Yeah, I, as I say, I, from from memory, I disagree completely. I think the effects hold up way better than if it had been CGI'd. It's been a while since I've seen, so I, I'm not not quite sure. But I think it, the fact that it falls into that kind of horror sci-fi, the sci-fi element definitely kind of leans much more into my my perspective. But it's also that quite classic cautionary tale, yeah. a bit like The Invisible Man, or like you know, if you play with science and act like a sort of god, then well, your penis falls off and you turn into a fly. And yeah, like like I say, I don't know quite why I didn't put it in my list in the first place because enjoyment factor, I massively enjoyed The Fly. Not seen it for a few years, but I should rewatch it. Superb choice, right? I have to do a little reshuffling. My number three, I'm going to go and steal uh, a classic, I think. Again, leaning into my more sci-fi-based taste, uh, I'm going to go for Alien as my number three. Much like some of the others we've sort of looked at so far, I think as the franchise progresses, it's less and less of a horror. But the first one is just a, a monster film, um, just so happens to be set in a spaceship. I think it's long been discussed, but H.R. Uh, Geiger's design for the alien is just timeless. It's it's perfect. It's kind of greasiness and it's biologicalness and the mouth inside a mouth, really like naturally superfluous, but makes it super scary. Sigourney Weaver's great. Ripley's a great character. Just a great film, and I think because it does have that sci-fi element as well, I love the design of it. I really like those old computers that, in the sort of 70s and 80s, they thought, no matter how far space travel goes, computers will always be green lines on black screens. <laughs> there is no no way this gets better. And I love that that's still kind of incorporate, incorporated into the technology of the ship. I saw it in the cinema probably five years ago when View were doing Wednesday classic classics. Yeah. I enjoy it anyway as a film, but like seeing it in the cinema is uh, is just superb. Like it massively lifted it for me. It was ace. I think like you say, it's it's I would say it's definitely a horror and like you're saying, it's a great example of a film series that touches on a couple of things that we talked about in regards to it definitely goes down a more actiony route as it goes on, but also a good example of starting with animatronics and body horror, which to me holds up miles better. It, you get into Alien 3 and it switches to CGI and it just loses something. You just, it's not scary anymore and it just looks like just a little bit not quite right and it just doesn't hold up, I mean... One and two, they're just classics, aren't they? And yeah. Great pick. Uh, Marco, you're number two, buddy. Number two, some may say isn't a horror as well, but it did actually appear pleasingly on a couple of the lists that I sort of perused beforehand, just when trying to see if I'd forgotten stuff. But it's Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Oh, I should have picked that. It is, it is absolutely superb. Yeah, it's a phenomenal film. It's just so entertaining as well. Rewatched it 
this weekend. The first half an hour is just ridiculous. I mean, it's got kind of very little to do with the rest of the movie. We see Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland just bopping around. It's almost comedy. But then it just goes, like, the rest of it is just so consistently tense and uneasy. Fantastic performances. I've forgotten like, the name who plays Laura Palmer, but... Cheryl Lee. Yeah, she's Cheryl phenomenal. Lee. I, I think, like, her performance is as good as almost anything that I've seen. Like, I just think how emotionally, like, breaking that must be to make <laughs> yeah. a film. Like, it's just phenomenal. It really is. And I think we mentioned in an earlier list, or I did, I think it's got some of the best sound design I've ever heard in a film. It's incredible. You know, it's it's a toss-up. It, it might be my favourite David Lynch film. It helps that I like Twin Peaks in general, but it, it it is its own thing. I think if you hadn't seen any of the other Twin Peaks, would it work? I, I don't know because I I don't have the comparison. So I, I was going to ask I don't you that. Think not, it would. Yeah, I've not I've not seen the film, and I was going to say like, does is it quite reliant on your pre-existing yeah. knowledge? I think it is massively. I don't think it would hold up as a like. Well, I think it would still work as a as a visceral experience. You just wouldn't have a clue what was going on. No, but that's what I mean. Is. Though, like, yeah, you would still get. There's loads of elements of it that are superb, and you would still understand those elements. But as a plot, I think it yeah. would make zero sense. No, it, indeed. But then again, even seeing the others is still pretty uh, pretty difficult to follow at times. But yeah. um, I really like that. Well, I won't go into it more because it's just spoiler stuff. And but yeah, no, great, great film. Just go out and watch it. I know ne- I never yeah. considered it, and I regret that now because it would have made my list. I absolutely superb. Sam, your number two, buddy. Right, my number two uh, was going to be the thing. So I'm going to have to say. I'm going to shoehorn something in there, but it's not necessarily my number two. It's not even a horror. Yeah. It's a comedy. It's not even a horror. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's Rush uh, Hour Two. Gas- Rush Hour Two. <laughs> no, it's um, Gaspar Noé's Climax. I don't know if anyone's seen it. And I was in two minds whether to even pick Climax as the Gaspar Noé film because he's done some great films, but it's. It's original. It's only 2018. It's 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 really original, and it's the premise is it's really horrifying. It's without giving too much away. It's imagine being completely against any kind of drugs and being spiked with LSD. A whole a whole group of people drink some punch, which is spiked with LSD, and there's parents and children and everyone's going around having their own trip. No one wants to be there. And it just goes completely off the wall. And it's another kind of first person camera following. It's like a single, maybe a few cuts in there, but it's one big, one big cut of walking around this horrible, dingy building with all these people just not wanting to be on drugs and not having a choice. It's even though it's, it might not be, my favourite horror film, it's, it makes me feel unlike any other film. It's, it's got a very Lynchian vibe in that it, it makes me feel like really uncomfortable watching it. Even if I can't relate to it, it just, it makes me like after I finished watching it, I was like 
completely affected by it. It was really disturbing. Yes, good. Sounds like a cool premise. Yeah, it is. Awful and cool. <laughs> <laughs> Is that number number two? I think it's your number two, buddy, yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I'm stealing Will's pick. So my number two is The Shining. Uh, the reason I didn't pick Misery is because I didn't want to put two Stephen King in there. And I was prepared to substitute Carrie in there if somebody else had it, because I also like that film. But I think The Shining is definitely a horror film although again i'd argue that the drama elements are the thing that kind of draws me into it i think the fact that like i think it might not be a very good film if it didn't star jack nicholson or at least somebody who's able to got the chops yeah just the strength of his performance is the thing that kind of entirely carries the film for me there are other elements that are obviously like Super, super creepy, and you know, thinking of like the twins and and you know other bits, but but I just think it's a like super performance from start to finish, and yeah, just a like a man slowly descending into madness is a kind of classic story. That, that's my only complaint with The Shining, though, is that slow descent you describe. I, I don't see the slow descent. I mean, he's, he's pretty much there after about 10 minutes. I would have preferred if it had been a slow descent. He's just kind of pretty, pretty about, mad from the start, know. really. I don't know. After, like, 10 minutes, like, the descent maybe starts, but I don't think you could argue that he's at the same level where he's like, well, he's trying, not an axe wielding maniac, but he's not trying to kill his family after 10 minutes, is he? <laughs> There's yeah, definitely he... a, a, a slope. Yeah, there, there is a slope, but I'm just saying, I wish it had been a shallower slope. It, it kind of, he's he's pretty early just into, into mad territory. Um, I do I like the film. I, I do like the film. True. I don't, I've never found it scary. Uh, that's not necessarily a problem. I do. I think it's iconic, and I think it's beautifully directed. I, I think, like, the, like I say, like the reason that this film really works for me. Disagree on the fact that, like, I think there is definitely a descent into madness. Like you say, like it shows his kind of explosive personality early on. But I think, like early on, it's showing him like teetering on the edge, and then the end of the film is when he crosses over. Like I don't, I don't. I think there is a slope. Like that's the kind of important thing to me about the film. But also, it is the kind of the drama aspects of it that I really like, and the fact that because I'd agree with you. Like I don't find it scary either, but I can't pick something in my list that I find. I'm just looking at my number one now. I was <laughs> genuinely scared by my number one. Most things on my list, I've not picked anything that I found actually scary because I don't find that a positive, like film watching experience thing. So I've like they're not films that I like generally. It's just it's just super entertaining as well. It's it's one of those films like much like Midsummer in that you can just watch it time and time again and you spot so many different things in it throughout because like you say, it's just directed so well and it's just got that. Kubrick, like meticulous, everything is like in its place and everything is patterned and straightened in a certain way. And the typewriter is this and that. And 
But as you mentioned, it's full of iconic moments from Red Rum, Here's Johnny, the blood coming out of the elevator, the yeah. creepy twin girls, the tricycle. Like, it's just so many bits that have been used and repurposed in other media. It just it absolutely stands the test of time. Um, yeah, excellent choice. Okay, my number two. I think this might indicate that kind of animatronics and the the way that the visual effects are dealt with, is, I think is quite important to me in horror. And I think it makes a huge difference to my perception of it. And my number two choice is American Werewolf in London. I think this, is, this probably falls into horror comedy. Uh, it's a very dark comedy, but I think it is actually quite funny in parts. But the bit that really like stands out to me is his like transformation for the first time. I guess it's the second time, isn't it? Because he kills his friend first. But when he transforms in the nurse's flat, and it's a protracted uh, like metamorphosis, where you see his limbs breaking and extending, and the fur coming out, and the the muzzle. It just looks insane, and uh, despite the film, I guess following relatively normal horror themes and tropes the look of it and i guess partly the comedy elements just elevate it to like nearly exceptional i think for me not seen it have you not oh mate it's it's definitely one uh that i think will kind of live up to the hype i think i hope yeah it's going <laughs> on my list that's for sure Sorry, buddy, not seen. Wow, that's, that's a, sort of surprising that none of you have seen it. I guess it's not, I don't know, I think it is considered one of those kind of classic horrors. Maybe that's just it, my... It definitely is, yeah. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, it definitely is. It's not like I've not heard of it. Nothing more to say, really, then, is there? <laughs> it's a cracker, <laughs> number two. Right, well, I can rush through my number one because it's Alien. Uh, I'm not going to substitute it. <laughs> I think it gets usual. It gets really hard to substitute number one, isn't it? Because you put it there for a reason. I just, it's, uh, you know, it's a, a perfect film for me. You kind of summed it up perfectly. I don't have much to add. I mean, I, I always seem to mention scores, but it's another great one. Mm-hmm. Love the tactile feel of it all. As you say, just, yeah, it's just a great bunch of characters as well. I mean, the fact you get someone like Yafet Koto, he's probably in it for 10, 15 minutes, and he's just, yeah, all the side characters are great. And it is it is just one where you can watch it over and over, for sure, and it's just damn entertaining. I don't know that it's massively scary. It I, The first time no. I watched it, like, I think it was, there are some bits with really sticking my mind about, like, the ventilator shaft. Mm-hmm. And the big blade spinning around, and the like, the shadows that, and the light it casts, and the alien like creeping around in there. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched it; it really gave me the willies. Yeah, the design of it is fantastic. The atmosphere is brilliant. I think there's a temptation to go right. Spaceships are going to be shiny and you know very technologically apt. The fact that it it looks like a junk ship, <laughs> everything's mm-hmm. chunky and practical, and nothing is kind of there to look good. You got a job to do. I think that really adds to the the visual of it. The uh, the final thing I'll say, sorry, just whilst I remember, obviously the alien is the is the villain, but Ian Heim is pretty damn scary in it as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, 
And just the design of the the mother room as well. Just everything about it is super effective. Go on, Sam. I'm intrigued. Right. Um, it's controversial. It's not even... It's a remake at that. It's not even the original. Um, Suspiria. 2018 Suspiria remake. Um, oh, I absolutely love it. Um, I actually... I've actually tried to force Andy to watch it in the past and I'm pretty sure he fell asleep during it because we we did no, a suspense. I watched it did you watch the remake because I know we did a double bill and I know we started with the original we did and, uh, I, I couldn't remember if you lasted through the uh through the remake I, th- or I not, think but... I at least I at least lasted through 90 percent of it yeah I'm not rolling out I'm say. not rolling out that I had a little doze in the middle <laughs> yeah um it's just it's just amazing. It's got it's like a witch's coven, but it's done in a way that I've never seen in a film. And all all the characters, all the witches in it are like intrinsically connected. And it's got Tilda Swinton in it who uh plays Madame Blanc. Well, she actually plays a few characters, but her main character is Madame Blanc, and she's just so loving and accepting and it's it's just, it, yeah, it's it's this group of young, impressionable dancers that are in this dance school uh, based in Berlin, and they're all unwittingly practicing this dance that is going to summon the 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 leader of this witch's coven. But they're all, even though they are tools in the the coming of this uh, witch, they are respected and loved as equals by the mothers that oversee the dance school. Um, and it's uh, the the scores by, uh, well, the original soundtracks by Tom York. Um, Tilda Swinton is absolutely amazing in it. Uh, Dakota Johnson is a main character. It's, and there's quite a few, like, dance sections in it that are just, just like hypnotic to watch it's bizarre you're watching the dance take place and you're watching all these mother witches like feel the dance as it's happening it's just got a vibe to it like um no horror film i've ever felt it's 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 scary but at the same time there's like a a real big sense of like like a feeling of warmth and love throughout it yeah it's uh it's brilliant yeah tilda swinton is uh is one of my favourites anyway. She's a, she's a great actress and she she outdoes herself in this. It's Tilda Swinton's best film for my money that I've seen anyway. Yeah, great film. Great. Look, man, I, I love Tilda Swinton and I'm glad that you love that film. Um, <laughs> I, dot, dot, I, dot. I prefer the uh, for the original, for starters. Yeah. Um, and also the, like, I found bits of it just unwatchably gross. But aside from that, great pick. <laughs> yeah, it's it's out there. It's unconventional, and like you say, it's not it's not necessarily a classic horror in most people's eyes. But I think just the elements that you love about it, I just didn't get. I had that. I don't know. I didn't get that feeling from it. I guess I just always look for some originality in horror films, which, like I said before, I think is so hard to come by and. It's just the most original horror film I've seen for, well, for a long time anyway. Yeah. Have either of you seen it? 
No, I've not seen the original or the remake, I'm afraid to say. I have seen both. I liked both. I'd have to re- watch the remake again. You put, you put up a good a good good argument for it for sure. I mean, like Will was saying before, I don't, it's you don't want to just give it plus points for you know trying something different. But this, yeah, this this definitely did try something different, and it really hit home with me. I thought it was re- really unique, and yeah, really really stood out to me as a good one. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Cool. Yeah, grand. Alrighty, uh, number one is a complete bullshit pick. Because um, I would have picked Psycho, but I talked about it last week. So I've just substituted in a, another Hitchcock film, which is a horror and I also love, which is The Birds. I think I watched this like fairly young as well, and it did genuinely scare me and it genuinely stayed with me for a few days. Is it my favourite Hitchcock film? No, it's probably about five. <laughs> but um, I do think it's a great film. I, I don't think anyone... I don't think there's another director that builds up that sort of suspense and tension as much as Hitchcock does. I love that he picked the villains to be birds. And I, I think like you almost feel like there's something more that's going to come, and there isn't. Like, I think, like, almost that's where the kind of terror comes from, is that it's not a... It's no rhyme or reason to it. No, and they literally never explain it in the film either. There's no explanation in by the end of the film as to why the birds are suddenly attacking. Like, there's kind of... There's reasons, like, speculations that are given during the film, but there's no, there's no final answer. But I genuinely found it scary... And it genuinely stayed with me and didn't the 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 kind of scare factor didn't put me off it as a film. So like I say, bullshit pick because it's not my favorite Hitchcock film. I think Psycho is better. Also, like when I was talking about Psycho, I talked about Bernard Herrmann's score and how important I thought that was to the film, like building the tension and the fear throughout it. It's basically no music in the birds. Like it's it's almost entirely silent in terms of like scoring music, and um, I think it's just super effective in it. Like there's just a like eeriness that goes through the entire film, and yeah, I think it's like I say, like it might not be my favorite Hitchcock, but it's still a damn good film. Top five Hitchcock's still better than probably eighty percent of cinema. So. <laughs> Uh, for me, more than eighty percent. Like Hitchcock is probably my my favorite director. I, it might not be my favorite film of his, but um, it's still outstanding. Alrighty, so uh, my number one. Despite not being a religious person, uh, I often find religious horror quite attractive. I'm surprised that this hasn't come up at all. Um, maybe it's been avoided because it probably is considered sort of the seminal horror film. But as a child, um, I guess as a, as a young teen, this really like destroyed me for, for probably a good fortnight. And it's The Exorcist. I'm not sure I can say anything that hasn't been said by much more, much wiser people than I, but it looks insane like it it the way they have 
like applied the makeup on Reagan and when she's like thrashing about the bed again from what I understand is like they just attached her to some sort of chair system and just whipped this small girl around her bed for a bit and filmed it it's again full of like really iconic lines and moments the fact that it's all set pretty much in a single bedroom that the antagonist is essentially a a little girl it just yeah i just think perhaps when i watched it originally it surprises me that it was banned as a film i think we've spoken about films considerably worse admittedly and through a modern lens but but yeah i think it's great i think it kind of lives up to its own uh reputation yeah, it's difficult to talk about because it is it is a such spoken about film. I'm not sure what I've got that's new to add, but as far as like horror goes, it was a bit of a toss up between this and The Omen. It's another like religious horror that I really like. Something about the devil and devil children that <laughs> seems to uh, seems to work for me. I have seen it. It was uh, unsettling. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's not good. <laughs> Did what it set out for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Scared the living shit out of me. I prefer it to the omen. I do, which is ultimately why it why it made the list. But I kind of felt like I wanted at least one of those two kind of religious horrors in there. And I did anticipate that one of them would be would be picked. So I kind of had them both at the ready. But no, you're right. I think The Exorcist is a is a superior film. Sweet. Good stuff. Okay, well, that is all from us at Screen and Needle. Uh, next week will be Andy's choices. Uh, do you want to tell us your movie, album, and top five list, buddy? Sure. Uh, so the film will be Promising Young Woman by Emerald Fennell. Uh, the album will be Sun Leads Me On uh, by Half Moon Run. And the top five will be top five guilty pleasure songs. And to clarify, you don't have to feel guilty about it. I just want an excuse for us to list five shit songs that we like. Excellent. It's the individual song rather than like... Song, not album. Okay, gotcha. Wonderful. Great, uh, great choices. Join us next week while we'll talk about all of that good stuff and maybe have another cheeky pint.